Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Hi, Andy. How are you? Good morning. I am doing well, thanks. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. How have you been? Oh, it's been a doozy of a semester, (laughs) as you can imagine. I bet. I bet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, at Cal State Long Beach, we were fully online last year. So both semesters, 100% online. I saw students like four times the entire semester in the spring and never in the fall. Uh, and now we're, we've got our studio classes back on campus, but a lot of their other courses are still online. And so it's just posed so many interesting questions and challenges. And, you know, I think it's hard for them because I think it's easier to concentrate on an online class when you're home and you're by yourself and you're in a room. But right. now they're like doing it between dance classes and they're in the courtyard and they're with their friends. And <laughs> so it takes a little extra work to really concentrate. But yeah, I, no, that's they, a good uh, point. That is yeah. definitely a good point. Yeah, so yeah. I, we're, seeing, we're seeing a little less attention to detail and yes. ability to get their work in on time than last year. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. So, you know, we're just navigating testing protocols and bleh. but anyway, welcome to my office. This is this is my office here. I've got lots of books and papers and yeah, I've been here. I've been teaching in this department for 22 years. So, oh, wow, uh, Andy, that's amazing. Yeah, pretty crazy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Almost 23 actually. So, yeah coming up on your anniversary soon? Yeah, I started teaching in the spring semester as a part-time faculty member. So my anniversary always comes in January. Uh, That'll be 23 years. I know, it's like, oh my God, it's almost a quarter century. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a beautiful thing to celebrate. Oh, goodness. I was about to celebrate three years with the podcast, believe it or not, which is crazy. I know, I listened to your last podcast so I oh, heard you talking about coming up on three years. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And Andy, this is going to be like one of the highlights of the season. I'm like beaming from seeing you again. Oh my goodness. <laughs> should... That's so funny. <laughs> no, I've been so excited just to talk to you again, to kind of finish our conversation from pro action. I just felt like I could have talked to you that whole night. Seriously. <laughs> I Likewise with you. I mean, it's just, you know, I think it's so refreshing and fun to know that there are people out there that are trying to piece together this history and this yes, story yes. that has so many has so many roots and has so many offshoots you know i think it's an indication of how little people have taken this seriously when there's been no really good history written history. down of of yes. all of this. I mean, even when you go back to like 
the roots of drill team. When I introduce myself to my students and my dance background, uh -huh. I usually talk a little bit about that. And, you know, there's like three different people that claim to have invented the drill team in the United States, but there's been nobody that's really done a history project on all of this and how they all sort of started at the same time. But it yeah. happened in different part in different geographies. So, you know, maybe when I retire and I have free time on my hands. You'll write a book. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that, that everyone's gonna want to read about drill team. No. <laughs> I would buy it. Well, no, good, I exactly. Well, I should officially kick this off and oh, okay. yeah. we just launch right in, but I'm just probably gonna just let it go because that's just how easily the conversation flows. Is your last name pronounced Vaca Vaca Vaca? I, I'm partially Mexican, which most people yeah. don't realize. So the Spanish pronunciation is vaca. Vaca. And okay. vaca, vaca means cow in Spanish. Okay. And however, the funny thing about the pronunciation is that there is a town in Northern California. I grew up in Sacramento and it's, it's in between Sacramento and San Francisco. So if you drive from San Francisco to Tahoe or Sacramento to the Bay Area, you have to drive through Vacaville which is actually named after my ancestors. So oh my growing up in Northern California, it was very easy to say that my last name was Vaca, like Vacaville, and everybody knew exactly, they knew how to spell it, they knew what you were talking about. If you called for a reservation, they knew what it was. But mm -hmm. so I always say that I have two names, Andrew Vaca and Andy okay. Vaca. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but pretty much everyone knows me as Andy Vaca. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody, I have the wonderful pleasure of having Andy Vaca as the guest of today's episode. Andy, officially welcome. I know we already got started talking, but I just really appreciate your willingness to kind of chat through, like you said, this history of our space in a way that is just mm -hmm. so personal because these are just all people who really kind of helped create Pro Chilling World as we know it. And there's no Wikipedia page. There's no book out there as far as right. I know. And I just, I'm so yeah. excited to talk to you because I think piecing this together, especially with your involvement in it as well, is huge. So I know there's other players in this <laughs> piece and hopefully I'll, one day I'll get to add them to the mix and getting that perspective. But welcome to the show and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back chatting with you. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, I've been very lucky to be a part of this legacy of the pro cheerleading world and to be sort of the, the little uncle sitting on the sidelines, watching and participating in many different ways. So it's exciting to get to chat with you today. And okay. thank you for all the work you're doing for oh this industry too. Thank honestly. you so much. I, I love this industry so much. And it just feels like just something that's just worth it to me. I, I care so much about everybody having a wonderful experience. And yeah. uh, I know we've come a long way and I know that there's still some gains, but why don't you give us an overview of your background and your path in dance and in pro cheer specifically? I know that might be a super loaded question, but <laughs> I'll just jump in and okay. we'll just kind of piece it together. How did you start off dancing and what inspired you? Well, it's funny because my beginning as a dancer and my entry into the pro cheerleading world kind of happened at the same time. Uh, because I started dance late in my life. My first experience, as I would, as I always say, as a mover, I was a cheerleader in high school. I grew up in Sacramento. I happened to go to a 
high school that had male cheerleaders in the 70s and 80s, which was enormously rare back then. Okay, was it? Okay. And especially in Sacramento, to my knowledge, we were the only high school at that time. I went to high school from 78 to 82. I graduated in 1982. And we had male cheerleaders the entire time. Had a really good coach. She sort of saw the future and she was the one that started that program. Now, unfortunately, I only cheered my senior year and she retired the, uh, the year previous. So I didn't work with her, but she was the one, uh, Mrs. Talcott, Joe Talcott was her name. And so she started this really wonderful program. I did that as a senior in high school, went to USA camp, was just enthralled with the whole thing. Now as a male cheerleader in 1981, uh, we didn't do a lot of dancing, but you had to learn cheers. And, you know, we learned camp dance at camp and what, people didn't realize was that secretly I had been preparing <laughs> to try out for cheerleader the entire time I was in high school. I was just too afraid. I had, I think it was two years in a row, I had first period PE and the drill team always practiced zero period. So they practiced before school and they would practice in the gym. So I had to report to the gym for PE and I would just get there early and I would watch them. So I, I would watch things and I started realizing that as I would walk away, I would remember what they were doing. Like I had the capability of memorizing what they were doing. About my sophomore year, I started really paying attention at games. And by the time I tried out, <laughs> this, is, this is probably gonna make you want to turn off this podcast and run away because <laughs> You're like, oh my God, he's the weirdest person ever. But by the time I made the squad my senior year, I had memorized all like 65 of the game action cheers that our female cheerleaders did. Cause I had watched at games. I just paid attention. And then I'd go home, I'd figure them out in my room. I'd realize that I was watching them. So I was doing them backwards in my head. So mm -hmm. I would, and then I would reverse them. I would mirror them to the way that they were really done. I could do them the mirror version, okay. or I could do the real version, but I knew all 65. Funny was, we didn't even do them as the boys. We had megaphones. But I remember oh. one of my practices that year, the girls were practicing the game action cheers, and they were like, now, does anyone remember this one? And I was just standing there, and I go, oh, it goes like this. And I showed them, and they all looked at me, and they go, oh, thanks. And then they sort of froze, and they looked at me, and they're like, why do you know that? I go, oh, I know them all. <laughs> So the moving part was fun for me. I had played the violin. In fact, I played violin through college. I have a minor in music. So musicality, reading music. I played in orchestras. I was in violin competitions. That whole rhythm picking up stuff was rather easy for me. And I had practiced memorizing things. And then while I was a senior in high school, I tried out for cheerleader at Sacramento State. And I made it. So I cheered my first two years at Sac State. And I went from a squad where there were half men and half women to a squad where I was almost, I was the only guy. So it was very different. Um, okay. But I still got to go to camp and I still got, I got to learn more dances. And my sophomore year, I just decided I wasn't going to try out again for my junior year. I kind of, I wanted to do some different things. And one of the okay. song leaders suggested that I take a dance class for PE because I was a chemistry major. <laughs> Just to okay, add to the weirdness. Really, 
Yeah, I I ended up I ended up having a BA in comp studies and I have minors in music and chemistry. Wow. And an MFA in dance. <laughs> so yeah, and obviously it's, it's multifaceted if I've never heard it before. Yeah, I, <laughs> I or here's a, the an example of somebody that had no idea what he wanted to do when he grew up. So anyway, I took a dance class at Sacramento State. I took beginning jazz. And the next semester, I loved it so much. I took beginning jazz a second time from a different teacher. She was the director of the dance program. Her name was Dale Scholl. And it was a harder beginning jazz class. And by the next semester, she had talked me into trying out for the school dance company. So in the spring of 85, I tried out for the jazzy dance company at Sacramento State and I got in. And two years later, Dale asked me to be in her professional jazz dance company, Jazz Works. And then I spent the next four or five years dancing with Dale and, and in her company. We toured to New York. We performed, you know, two or three original shows a year. And so I went from, God, I went from a guy that completely identified as a cheerleader to somebody that was dancing, being paid to dance. I was a I was a professional dancer. I wasn't doing it full time because I was still going to school most of that time. But um, it happened fast. It happened really, really fast. And at the same time, I started working for USA. So the summer of 84, when I was going into my junior year of college, I made the USA cheerleading staff. So that put me around all these amazing people, you know, very West Coast. uh, USA Mm -hmm. founded in Northern California. And so... All of our staff were really, except for a few outliers, were from California and Utah. And the women that were the founding dancers on the 49ers Gold Rush were almost all instructors for USA. And then a lot of Laker girls were instructors for USA. USA as well. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, I'm like a kid in a candy store and I'm around all these amazingly talented people. I felt like I had gotten chosen for USA staff because I was a good teacher. <laughs> not I was not a good stunter. I didn't have the best jumps, uh, but I was a good teacher and I knew how to break things down. And with the people that they were hiring, they were looking for the right personality. The people that understood the philosophy of USA really being a summer camp where learning is fun, that we were there to teach things to people and make them feel proud of their work over these four days. And And I all of a sudden got to be with these amazingly talented people. And so I was spending the whole summer learning not only the cheer material, but constantly learning the dance material. Like, teach me this routine, teach me that routine. And sometimes it would take me two months to learn one dance because they were so complicated and I was such a beginner. And then the next year I learned them faster. And then the next year I learned them faster. And, uh, And I was taking more dance class at school. So it just bubbled up so fast. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, and this is where I get a little cloudy on what year, because uh, it was either, I'm going to say 85, perhaps the fall of 85, or it was fall of 86. I'm going to stick with 85 for right now. The Kansas City Kings moved to Sacramento and became the Sacramento Kings. Oh, okay. Okay. And so when the Kings came to Sac, Heidi Hopper, who was one of the original Fast Break, she was one of the original Gold Rush in San Francisco. She lived in the Sacramento area, so they hired Heidi to be their director. So Heidi put together the first team of dancers for the Sacramento Kings were called the Fast Break. They were the Fast Break for maybe the first 13 or 14 seasons. And Heidi was the director for, I want to say, 10 of those those first 10 years. And 
I volunteered to come and help with the auditions and I was giving people numbers and, mm -hmm. and then I just asked, can I learn the routine? And then I realized I was learning the routine a lot faster than most of the people that were there to audition. So <laughs> they sort of moved me into the middle to sort of be a demonstrator. And, yeah. and then I started helping people learn the material. So that was the very first year. And that's how I got to meet Heidi. And then Heidi brought me in a couple of times just to teach some of the USA material to her team. And starting the second year, Heidi just started using me more and more. And she took me under her wing and she saw that I had potential and that I had not just potential to help her team as dancers, but, but more to choreograph. And so she started helping me understand the ins and outs of, you know, you're thinking stage, you have to think, you know, choreography in the round. There's people all around you. You can't, you can't stop a group. Everyone's seen the whole time. And, and mm -hmm. she would say, this is a great idea. Let's make this a roll off and let, let's look and see how that changes things. Or how about if you put a formation change here? So Heidi, with all this experience she had in dancing over the years, her mother owned a dance studio in, in Vegas and she had danced for USA and Gold Rush. She really helped me hone those sort of, you know, dance elemental skills about choreography. By the time they were in their fifth or sixth year, I had come in and subbed as the director when Heidi was on maternity leave. And I think there was one year I choreographed 12 or 13 routines for the fast break. So I was the guy, you know, I was the guy that got invited to the Christmas party. And when they got a present, I got the present too, you know, they just sort of like treated me like I was one of the team. And, uh, and I, I spent a lot of time with those women because a lot of them I went to college with also, and we danced together at school and then I would help them out with fast break. Now, the other weird thing about Sacramento, because you would, you know, Sacramento has a very different personality than, than say Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. I think what was unique about the Sacramento Kings crowd was that they were there to support that team. Coming to an NBA game was more of a like family experience. You saw people with their kids, you saw people of every age, you saw people from every part of Sacramento because Sacramento had never had a professional team. So Heidi sort of took the leap of faith that she could put on halftime extravaganzas that not only included the dancers on her team, but she could bring men in to make them bigger and we could do lifts and whatever to sort of make it more exciting. And we would do a couple of those a year. The very first time we did it was what we used to call, <laughs> Arco Arena is the original name of the, of the stadium in Sacramento. And the original Arco was the one they built to house them while they were building the big one. And we used to call it the AMPM Mini Arena because it was, oh. <laughs> it was really tiny. And uh, we knew it was only temporary. So the first time we ever did a halftime show, it was for the, at the AMPM Mini Arena. And we did America from West Side Story. And oh. it was really exciting and the crowd loved it. And they didn't boo because there were guys on the court. Uh, right. They thought it was, oh look, this is a great entertaining halftime show. So the night that the official Arco Arena opened, and we moved to the big stadium. Heidi had this idea that we were going to, the girls would not go out and perform in the first half, that they would get introduced to the crowd at halftime with this giant 
extravaganza where they would be introduced one by one, they would do a routine and then the guys would come on and we would do the final number with them. And so it was a routine that had been taught at USA's college camp, another cha-cha by Santa Esmeralda. And I think there was like six or seven of us guys and the whole dance team. And I got all these great pictures of all of us backstage in our little outfits ready to go on and, and the crowd loved it. So I think we did a halftime show at least once a season every year for like the next 13 years. Um, I think the last one I was, and some of them I choreographed and a lot of them John Peters choreographed. I think the last time I was involved in one as a performer, it was Heidi's last game. And this was now the early nineties and it was the final game of the season we did we did a step in time from Mary Poppins and I'll never forget because there are all these guys and we've got soot on our faces and our brooms and we all are like chimney sweeps and the girls are in their black outfits and we're getting ready to go on. And Michael Olmstead, who is the director of 49ers entertainment, he owns E2K uh, okay. in the Bay area. His family were the original owners of USA. They were the founders of the United oh, Spirit Association. Okay. So Michael's okay. offshoot, which was known as USA Productions, they were the ones producing the Gold Rush, the Warrior Girls, uh, the Sacramento Kings Fast Break, and then later the Clippers, and then later the San Diego Charger Girls. So at one point they had all those teams under the USA Production umbrella, which USA Productions later became E2K. I'll go back to that in a second because really it's Michael and Lori Ryan Woodward. They were the ones that kind of, I, all of California was really under on one umbrella, to be honest, except okay. for the Lakers. Um, okay. But anyway, at this, I remember Michael came to the game and and I, he saw me and he knew we were doing the show and he was there because it was Heidi's last game and she'd been the director for 10 years. And he's like, what are you guys doing tonight? And I'm like, oh, we're doing Step in Time for Mary Poppins. And he looked at me with like, like this look of dread on his face. And he was like, oh, is that going to be a good idea with the crowd? And I was like... In other cities, I don't think it would be. But I said, you have to trust us that Heidi knows this Mm -hmm. crowd, that we've done cheesier things in the past, (laughs) and they have cheered for us. (laughs) And I said, it's really fun. Just trust. It's going to be okay. And he was so worried that we were going to get booed, and they loved it. (laughs) They absolutely loved it. You know, so those were the good old innocent days. Uh, But I think... The reason I I kind of wanted to say all of that was that, you know, so in that time frame, I went from not being a dancer to becoming a dancer, to becoming a choreographer, having this opportunity to work with really this one team so closely, this team that trusted me, trusted my skills. I got to, I got to come in and, you know, be an interim director a couple of times and got to perform there. So this was my home base. This was where it really all started for me. It was really all those roots coming together in Sacramento. And to be a part of that USA Productions umbrella, you were Michael's company, and that was what helped me bridge two other teams. USA, their first team was the Gold Rush. They were the quote unquote queens of the world. You know, they were the originals. Mm -hmm. And then they had the Warriors, they had the Kings. So while I was in Sacramento, Later down the road, I would go in and do choreography for Warriors. Lori would bring me in and I would do Gold Rush choreography. We did a couple of half times for Warriors. I know we did the uh, West Side Story one 
over there because I performed in that one too. But that crowd was, you know, every town's different. That crowd wasn't quite as receptive. Uh, and then later when I moved to Southern California, I moved to SoCal in 1990 to start graduate school at UCLA. And so I did some choreography for the Clippers. Uh, they were still under the USA umbrella at that time. We did some halftime shows and I've never been booed at bigger than in Los Angeles. No. Yeah, it no. just goes to show you, you cannot judge a book by its cover because we got cheered in Sacramento and practically booed off the court in Los Angeles uh, no. at the Coliseum where, when the Clippers were still in the Coliseum. I, I feel like I did more than one halftime show with them, but the one when we got booed and I was like, I'm never doing that again. We did this whole Vogue thing and, you know, Madonna's Vogue had come out. It was all like the big thing. Yeah, we were great. all like in black sleek outfits. It was a very good routine. And the Clipper girls were like hot. I mean, it was, they had amazing dancers on the team. I feel like John choreographed that routine too. And okay. was Lindsay Rosenberg on the team at the time? No, this was pre-Lindsay. Pre-Lindsay, okay, yeah. sorry, I had to say that in there, okay. <laughs> yeah, this was, I, b -b 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 there've been so many directors. I wanna say Carrie O'Leary was the director at the time. So why do you think oh. they booed? Like, what was the deal? Homophobia, the... homophobia. Oh, okay. As men, we took one step onto that court and the booing began. And, and it's not like I hadn't experienced that in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. I was a boy cheerleader, for God's sakes. I've been yelled every horrible, name the f word that all of us gay people don't gay men don't want to be called i've been called that a thousand times in my lifetime and the visceral physical reaction i have to that is is one of dread and fear and anger all at the same time every time i hear that word but yeah. you know you get to a point in your life and i'm sure as a black person you understand this from your own experiences you sort of think have we not gotten to the point where I don't have to hear that horrific word anymore? And then you hear it again, you know, you cross the street or you, you're traveling with in another city and you're just not expecting it. And then, yeah. So I think that was one of those, er and now this was still the nineties, but you know, I think Sacramento had given me this sort of like comfort feeling. I, I felt yeah. safe. 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 in Sacramento, yeah. you know, uh, the crowd embraced us. Now, you know, they, were they going to allow a man to try out for the team back then? No. They weren't there, but... They weren't there, but they were very happy to have us in the halftime shows. And the crowd, it was fine. It worked out great. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, I don't remember there ever being a negative response from the crowd in Sacramento. But I do remember negative responses in LA, in, in LA and uh, at the Warriors also. Uh, but the Warriors wasn't as bad as LA. And that was the funny thing. I was like, go figure. LA's the worst. LA was the I, know. I don't the know least why I'm forward. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I just think that every, every crowd has a personality. And mm -hmm. I think that this was a crowd that maybe, maybe the step was too big, too fast. I, I don't know. I, you who knows what had come right. on the news the day before or, or whatever. But, you know, at the same time, the Rams had, you know, had been in LA and the Rams had their stunt team. And, you know, the stunt team was really, really great. Ray Lozano had been directing, he directed the Rams for years and years and years up until Keeley became the director when they were in St. Okay. Louis. But 
I know Ray always wanted to have men on the dance team for the Rams because Ray was also, and actually still is, the director of the dance team here at Cal State Long Beach. And they were national champions with men on their college dance team. But homophobia was just so rampant in the cheerleading industry back then that you got to remember today, Varsity Spirit owns everybody. <laughs> you yes. know, Varsity Spirit is the enterprise that, you know, they, the own they, they, they own. Yes, <laughs> you, know, you, might, you might use that word, but they, <laughs> they have a pretty stronghold on the industry. And they own USA, they own NCA and NDA. They, uh, of course, their original companies are UCA and UDA. And uh, the personality difference between, you know, Memphis-based UCA and UDA and San Francisco-based USA was vast. Let's just say it was vast. You know, whereas it was pretty safe, even in the 80s, to be an out gay person working for USA. USA staff was made fun of by other companies for that exact reason reason yeah mm -hmm. so when cal state long beach won championships with male dance team members they changed the rules no men can dance so every time ray tried to push the envelope a little bit with cal state long beach uda would change the rules so that they couldn't win just because everyone's yes. like well they only win because they have men and to me, that was BS because they were yeah. winning because they had great choreography and great dancers. And right. some of them happened to be men, but what difference did it make? But you, you're looking at a population of dance teams that were largely drawn from the East Coast and the Midwest. And, the and then you had Cal State Long Beach, who was coming out with a different style and differently trained dancers. And people were going crazy, but they also yeah. didn't want them to win. So... So those rules changed. And so I think Ray was very cognizant with the Rams of the LA crowd and, you know, being mm -hmm. able to only push as far as he could. And they, so they had their stunt team, which was very strong. And a lot of the guys that had danced at Cal State Long Beach ended up being on the stunt team for the Rams. And I want to say, I don't want to, don't quote me on this, but I want to say when they, when they went to St. Louis for at least a period of time, they also had a stunt team in St. Louis because Ray remained the director choreographer in the early years in St. Louis. But in I St. think Louis. the commuting just, cause his life was here in SoCal. And then eventually Keeley, who was on Rams here in LA, she went to St. Louis with the team and then she became the director and then she came home <laughs> when they came back to LA. Gotcha. Yeah, so, when they came back to LA. Yeah, well, so. Just, just thinking of what you were saying too, it's just that this podcast has helped educate me just a little bit more on the experience of male cheerleaders and dancers because, you know, you think of women mostly all the time and our perspective and our experience. But thinking of male dancers that were talented enough to be on championship teams and having this talent that you have to stifle in some ways by only kind of being allowed to stunt and that only and just probably continuing to do it just because you love what you're doing and you want to still continue in some capacity i really appreciate this conversation because it makes me think about just kind of like where we are now yeah. and like how we got there and just I would love for listeners to be able to appreciate too, just that the chance that everybody's getting to dance and pursue their dream is really even more so special in thinking of the way it used to be. It's very, very true. Yeah. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, while I felt really a part of those early fast break days, I realized the how 
different it was when Heidi went on maternity leave and for three weeks I was filling in. And so I was the one wearing the headset and dealing with the entertainment staff. Mm-hmm. And that was not a welcoming feeling. Uh, so as entertainers, I felt very safe. But I thought that that was an interesting twist was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heidi was very, very respected. And not that she had everything about her job was easy in starting mm-hmm. this dance team with the Kings, but she, Heidi's a tough cookie and, and they, I know they respected her and she wouldn't have stayed that many years, but I didn't get that same respect because I was a guy with the dance team. So there was this yeah. whole like good old boys sort of feeling with the King's staff that was very negative and, and very challenging. But, you know, that was the, that was the road we had to go down in those days. I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, how many times have I had to work with dance team members? And at that time when I would sit there and I think, I am so much better than three quarters of the people on this dance team. And I just take a deep breath and go, okay, you're lucky because you get to be involved somehow. And I would just tell myself I was lucky because I got to be involved somehow. And I was. I was learning other skills and, you know, the opportunity to do all of these things and having people like Lori Woodward at E2K USA trusting me and having me help out with different auditions and different tryouts and different halftime experiences. That ended up leading me for two years. I was, my official title was artistic director of the San Diego Charger Girls, which a lot of people don't realize that I was one of the directors of the Charger Girls. Uh, See, this is what I'm talking about. We got to get these jewels out and yeah. open. Okay, yeah. Everybody. Yeah, and it was uh, their second and third year. Their first year, the woman that was their director, she had originally been on Gold Rush, and she moved down to become their director. Let's just say it wasn't it wasn't a good fit. Uh, I don't think it was a good fit for her, and her personality didn't gel well with the women on the team. And to the point of Season two began, they had their team uh, and I got a phone call and I was asked to go down and do some choreography. And so I, I had met a lot of them the year before I had done some choreography for them and I could mm-hmm. sense how unhappy everybody was. And, and then I got a phone call asking me some questions and I was like, okay, they seem to be trying to figure out how things are going here. And then two days later, I got another phone call that said, we're looking for a new director. Uh, We want the director to be Rosalie, who's on the team, but would you be willing to be a part of the directorship so that she can stay on the team? And I said, absolutely, (laughs) without hesitation. Yeah. So we directed the team together. Rosalie was officially the director and then I was the artistic director. So I was doing a lot of choreography. I was sort of the game day director so that she could perform. So on game day, you know, I ran the game day rehearsals, the dancers got ready, I made sure the music was up in the booth. I sat in the booth. I called the shots. I was on the radio down to the field. And so I did all of that on game day. So, and then Rosalie maintained sort of the weekly director duties and dealt with appearances and things like that because I was living in LA and she lived in San Diego, of course. So, but that was two, two really great seasons. But that first season I realized in the first couple of weeks, it was a wounded group of, of women uh, that felt mm. that they had been attacked and not seen and not heard and damaged mm. by some things that had been said in rehearsals. 
And so it was really the first opportunity for me to realize how you have to build the, the esteem of a group of people to work together. So we had to do a lot of team building things. And I had to work with a lot of individuals on the side to bring up their confidence and their dance mm-hmm. uh, skills. And, and by the end of the season, they were such a, a wonderful team and they looked so strong. And then the third year, I was involved the entire time. And from tryouts on, we just knew that we were going to have a great team. And we really did. But then my exit out of that was a very, was a strange story. I still don't understand exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that that combined with another experience I had with the 49ers just made me realize I saw this as an opportunity that I could be a director, that I was proving myself that I could take on the directorship of a team. But what I was realizing was I was sort of getting this discrimination for being a man. And I, I love these people at USA slash E2K that have done so much for me, but I didn't feel as if they were ready to say, to present to an NFL organization, this gentleman is the person we want to be the director of your team. They weren't ready to do that. So when I realized I wasn't going to go anywhere with them, I just Mm -hmm. walked away. You know, I just thought this is time to go and get my MFA in dance. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's also too, like knowing your, your worth too, because if you're doing the role, essentially game day, you're doing the choreography, obviously just managing the team and, and coaching the team and building all of those skills. If you have all that experience and you're not going to get the opportunities to advance, I definitely would have done something very similar in terms of like, okay, well, enough of that, you know? Yeah. Just be, yeah, I yeah. Totally- and, and I still had the opportunities to be teaching for USA and mm-hmm. I, I started directing their dance program while I was in graduate school and, okay. and, you know, the other part of my life sort of took off at that point in time. You know, you, you make some free space in your, in your aura and something fills it in. I'm always telling my students, you know, having, having a positive spirit and being a hard worker and putting out those positive vibes, no matter, it sounds so ridiculously cheesy, even as I say it, but that's what allows you to have a career people have to want to work with you you know i always say you know i've been blessed over all these years to work with so many talented dancers in so many different avenues but your talent gets you your first job and your attitude gets you rehired i say that to my students all the time you know it doesn't matter how good you are if you have a stinky attitude (laughs) no one's going to want to work with you and there's too many good people out there you know, I am a living proof that you don't have to be the best at anything in order to have a career. You have to be a hard worker. You have to be strong. You have to be smart. You have to be a lot of things. And I'm not saying I'm not talented. I have talents. There are people more talented than me in many different areas, but I've never not worked hard. I've got depression era parents who were poor, dirt poor growing up, lost everything numerous times and fires and floods and everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, hard, good work ethic was instilled in me from an early time in my life. And mm-hmm. I've done my best and I've made dumb decisions and bad decisions at the same time. But uh, uh, but I, I feel as if I got very blessed in that mid nineties time to have these really interesting 
other kinds of opportunities because I decided to walk away and yeah. give myself space to do that. I, I got to be assistant to Tony award-winning Twyla Tharp, who is a Kennedy Center award honoree. She wow. was starting a new dance company in the nineties and she hired me to be her assistant. I was basically like her production tour assistant for a summer and wow. got to sit and watch her make these new dances. And again, learned a whole new skill set by just having a summer of being paid and watching this international superstar do her work and learning okay. about that sort of the concert dance tour part, um, okay. helping them organize that. And then I moved to Utah and I danced in an amazing dance company that's called the Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company that has now been around for over 50 years, but they're a repertory modern, modern dance company. Uh, okay. And there has been a long lineage of amazing people and choreographers that have worked with Ryrie Woodbury and they're still kicking and doing amazing work and touring the world. And I got to be in that company for a couple of years. And yet the one thing that has always called me back is the teaching part is um, okay. I love to teach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's, that's why I got hired on USA was because I think I was a good teacher even back then. And mm -hmm. uh, I love helping people out and, you know, helping them find the ability to believe in themselves and push themselves through their abilities, you know? And so that's how you've been here for 23 years. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. You know, I taught at Sacramento State back in the 80s, and then I got to teach at UCLA uh, while and after I was in graduate school. And then in 99, when I moved back from Utah, I was teaching mm -hmm. part-time at UCLA and part-time here at Cal State Long Beach. And... This was just a fit, you know, you, you just find those things in your life sometimes where someone's looking for a bunch of weird things and you're like, hey, I have all those weird things. <laughs> 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 I can teach jazz and dance for children and improvisation. And those happen to be the three classes they needed covered at the same time. And I was like, I can do all three of those. So, you know, and then the next semester, well, can you teach modern? Sure, I can teach modern too. Can you do this? Sure, I can do that too. You know, sometimes I was telling the truth and sometimes I wasn't, but. <laughs> but no, actually in the case of Cal State Long Beach, everything they ever asked me to teach, I was prepared to teach. And uh, yeah, so they kind of created a full-time position for me based upon the work that I had been doing part-time. And, oh, it was just, you know, it was like a dream come true. Mm -hmm. And the people I was teaching with were, a lot of them were my teachers when I was in graduate school and people oh, that had choreographed on me when I was in Ryrie Woodbury. And, and I was like, oh, geez, the pressure's on now. But now I'm the old guy, you know, now I'm one, now I'm one of the uh, oldest on the faculty and uh, getting to watch new amazing talented professors come in and work with our students. And, well, where did ProAction Dance come into the mix for you? You know, ProAction had sort of like this dream that had germinated for years between the Ortegas, mm -hmm. Mina and Marina, and yeah. Dan and Millie Wilson. Now, to understand our relationship in a nutshell, <laughs> uh, I have lived with Dan and Millie in two different homes. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Dan and Millie and I all worked for USA. I'm a little older, so I was on USA first. I actually was Millie's private coach when she was a junior in high school at cheer camp. 
I was her private coach. That's how long I have known Millie Wilson. But when I went back to LA to do my MFA at UCLA, a bunch of us were sort of in transition periods. Millie had just graduated and had just started a nursing job at Cedar sinai Dan was going back to get his MBA. We had a couple of other friends. One was starting law school. One was becoming a, a stockbroker. It was, we decided, let's be the real world. Let's get this big house and let's all live in this big house together. So there's six of us. And we lived in this giant house mm -hmm. on Westwood Boulevard, <laughs> just south of, of UCLA. And I okay. lived there for three and a half years. And while I lived there, Dan and Millie, became engaged and eventually got married and we were all in the wedding. Now at that same time, there were these amazing twins that had started working for USA. They were Mina and Marina Ortega and they always dressed alike <laughs> and they always had their hair slicked back with a part down the middle and they always had really dark lipstick on and no <laughs> other makeup. <laughs> okay. and, and we were always like, which one are you? Are you Mina? Are you Marina? <laughs> and, um, and they just sort of started coming to our parties and they came to Dan and Millie's wedding. And as we got to know them more and more and love them more and more, they sort of became part of our USA extended family. And fast forward, you know, all of a sudden they're doing amazing things. And Marina's been in Frankfurt, uh, directing the Frankfurt Galaxy, and Mina had started working with USC and taking over the dance force, and Dan and Millie are now living up in the hills, and they've got their careers, and I'm at Cal State Long Beach, and all these years, they've been talking about wanting to start a company that provided choreography for professional dance teams, but just did away with the other part that was often coming along with those experiences, which was, let's have a seminar about hair. Let's have a seminar about makeup. Let's try to sell people boots. Let's, it, it, there was, they wanted it to just really focus on the dance side. So gotcha. instead of being three or four days, let's just make it two days. Let's just get people in there. Let's push them really, really hard, convince them that they can do it and let them walk away with a ton of choreography. And Mina and Marina also, because they were so grateful for these amazing people, like I mentioned, that we all knew from USA, taking them under their wing and mentoring them and giving them opportunities. They wanted to have an opportunity to do that with younger choreographers as well. So this dream sort of all came together and I got a phone call and they said, so we're going to do it. We booked space in Vegas and do you want to come and be one of our instructors? And I said, are you sure? <laughs> I, I thought that my camp days had come to an end. I worked for USA until 2004. There used to be uh, Rosalind's company, Pro Dance, but as she was out of Houston and she ran Pro Dance for about a decade. And that was sort of the company that a lot of the NBA and NFL teams went to. But- Got you. I think that was kind of coming to its end. People in the pro dance company were kind of going their own different directions. And so Mina and Marina had this dream and Dan and Millie were help, willing to have, help them with backing. And they booked space at Planet Hollywood. And I think it was Mina, Marina, me, John Peters, Shandon. I think we were the only instructors the first year. I feel like maybe I'm oh, missing wow. somebody. And I think we had a total of 80 dancers and we were thrilled because, you know, four days before, I think there were 25 people signed up 
And they were like, we're going to lose our socks, but we're going to do it. <laughs> and so when we got there and there was 80, I was like, this is amazing. There's 80 people here. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, some of the customers that came that year are people that have been coming ever since. Trailblazers yeah. were there. Yeah. Ball State was there. Uh, you know, Mina had her USC dancers. I'm pretty sure the Kings, the SKD, when it was SKD, they were they were one of our original customers, even though now that they've become 916 crew, we've lo- temporarily, I hope, lost them. But I would like to think that yeah. maybe they'll come back. But yeah, we had a fun little little evening party for them. We still laughed because they had this mashed potato bar the first two years. That Have you ever heard of a mashed potato bar? You no, know how I haven't. <laughs> you've been to brunches with omelet bars? Okay, now imagine it's yeah. mashed potatoes. What do you want in your mashed potatoes? So all the fixings. Like- and then someone was there whipping it up and putting it on your plate for you. And it was your, oh my, I sound stupid, but you talk to people that were there the first year, they'll tell, they'll talk to you about the mashed potato bar. Anyway, <laughs> you know, we went from 80, it seemed like we blinked. And one year there was 80 and the next year there was 350 and then there was 450. And then we would get there and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what happened? So it, it just took off. It was really Mina and Marina's dream and they were bringing in the right people. You know, they started, you know, they brought in Oscar who they had just met through many different experiences. Oscar had been a student at USA camp. We remember Oscar in Santa Barbara at USA college camp. And, you know, this is, it's just, they have, they have an eye for, for talent. They have an eye for someone with an original voice and those roots of all of us working for USA they're just embedded in our DNA, you know, that we don't want someone that's going to come in and give you that hoity-toity, watch my assistant and I'm going to stand over here and drink a coffee while you guys dance really hard. That's not our vibe at ProAction. That was never the vibe at USA. We were taught, don't sit down ever during a class, you know, stay standing, keep moving, work everyone really hard, be friendly, help the people that need help. Don't just focus on the front line. And, and I feel oh, like, I yeah, you know, and that was really what was, like I said, embedded in us in our training as, as instructors. And, and then to have all of us continuing that philosophy of instruction and teaching and sharing that with maybe people that didn't even know what USA was or had never taught at camps or been to camps you know, and to watch them all do it now, you know, to see Michelle Vaughn and Oscar and Joey and, and even to watch like, like the difference in Rob, Rob Rich from like, Rich, yeah. yeah, from first year to like now, to, you know, the first year he was sort of like, what the, well, what is, who are these, the, these are really enthusiastic people, you know, <laughs> and, and to hear him talk now about how much he looks forward to that experience of being with everybody at ProAction and largely because of the energy and the spirit. And, you know, oh. you, you stand in that room. You did it. I mean, I could just see, I, I was, I was with Mina yesterday and I said, Oh, I'm talking to Makiba tomorrow for the podcast. And Dan and Millie were there too yesterday. We all had brunch together yesterday oh and okay. I will, I will. And they say hello to you. And, and Dan said, Oh, I wish I had gotten to talk to her more because he was so busy. And I said, well, I got to talk to her a lot. And I said, Oh, she was like a kid in a candy store. I said, oh she God. was like, she was fangirling over everybody. <laughs> oh 
shameless. Oh my gosh. And I could not even help myself, Andy. It was, it just became like everybody was an action figure from Instagram land and they're all converging like the Avengers in the (laughs) convention center. And I'm still beyond like blown away that that was like a smaller number than normal because there was, it was a ton of people as far as I was concerned. So seeing or imagining how you, how you all manage that when there's twice as many or three times as many dancers. You yell a lot louder. I I wouldn't have been ready for that. I'm really glad it was just a smaller version, but I was definitely a kid in a candy store. So overwhelmed with just like pride in watching the dancers perform, just awe watching the instructors teach. And I don't know what it is. It's some secret sauce in terms Mm -hmm. of like the spirit in the room, because Mm -hmm. I personally went to a dance convention when I was with the Seahawks And I was fighting an injury too, but I just felt demoralized because it was just kind of mm. like whoosh, overwhelming. And then everybody's kind of like strutting their stuff of like clearly who's the best looking dance team here. And right. so the vibe was definitely just a little different. I think everybody's probably pushed in the right ways and yeah. they accomplished the unthinkable learning all those routines over the weekend. But there's just a, a very, very positive, infectious spirit in the air and listening to people encouraging one another, like, Ah, it was just, it was just all the feels. I want to go back, like, yeah. now. <laughs> well, good. We, I hope you get to go back. You know, and I have yeah. to say, that really comes from the Olmsteads. It really comes from Robert Olmsted and his mm-hmm. wife, Edith, who mm-hmm. who founded USA. And, I mean, you know, to think that here is this family that believed in training young people in a way that made them feel like they could do more than they were possible. It's exactly what you just said. It's yeah, it's that yeah. accomplishing the unimaginable in two days, three days, four days, whatever it is. But that was the thing that we wanted to be able to do at USA and we were able to do for years at USA Camp. I was far more interested as a young instructor in teaching the teams that were not good, then I was interested in teaching the teams that were already good because mm. I had to work harder with those other teams, but it was so gratifying to see them go from getting the yellow ribbon, which was sort of the third tier, to the second day yeah. getting the red ribbon, which was the second tier, and the last day getting that blue ribbon and for them to feel so ready to accomplish anything because not mm. only had they learned the cheer, done the dance, whatever it was, but they'd improved, that they'd seen how much they'd improved. And I think I think we do a good job of helping people realize that, you know what, you might not have it today, but put everything you can into that performance. Keep looking at the people that are around you because if you believe in what you're doing, you're gonna come back and you're gonna be stronger and you're gonna be better and you're gonna bring that energy to your team and that's gonna become infectious for your entire season. So, you know, with all of us Mm -hmm. having that experience 35 years ago, I step into the room and it's like a a switch flips and I can't not do it that way. Yeah. And then to be around all the the people, you know, for me, this year was very different because it was the first year I didn't teach dances and I was working exclusively with directors. But to get to be with directors who, to be honest, I taught at camp. I taught Michelle Birch at camp. I taught Jamie from from University of Utah. She was one of my staff members and taught her at camp. And, you know, I mean, these are people that I've known so long Mm -hmm. that often they were coming to USA camp 
to learn material on top, even while they were on the Portland Trailblazers or the, the Indiana Pacers right. or whatever. And so, you know, this is a company of people that have known each other for years and years and years. Carol Lloyd was on Memphis State when they were called Memphis State. And she came to Santa Barbara and and danced her ass off on concrete, you know, for four days. And that's how long we've known Carol Lloyd, uh, who even came this year without a team just because she wanted to be around everybody, you know. Oh, and uh, and then to get to meet the new people, to get to meet new directors and to hear their stories. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was so exciting to meet people like Bailey from Raiders and yeah, to see her kind of walk in, you know, with a a little stunned on the first day and how excited she was by the last day realizing you know that this was a different group of people that were there to yeah. to not try to be better than her team or her but to yeah. support her and her team you know and so and i think that's what we were able to accomplish with the directors this year which was really nice was having people feel that support and then also just sort of breaking the ice on some conversations that often you don't get to have in those in those spaces you know that are yeah the breakout sessions were definitely yeah the breakout sessions were definitely really helpful and just like people felt comfortable sharing and and a lot of the struggles i'm sure that the directors were expressing others experience too so yeah i love seeing collaboration in action it gets me excited and just hearing this conversation too we're all connected one way or the other. And to think about like what you were saying in terms of like, you know, just thinking of who you are as a person and your work ethic and the impression that you leave on others and wanting it to be a positive one, you're gonna run into these circles throughout your career more than you likely. Are. So uh, starting off on the right foot and building the right connections, genuine connections with people, I think is what I'd love to continue to see. I think we're all connected via social media, but it's not the same. It's not the same, yeah. It's not the same connections. So if yeah. you have the opportunity to connect in person and really have just real conversations, I think that's what I was so nervous to go to Proactive by myself <laughs> and the girls came with me and it was awesome to have some support there, but I wasn't sure. Going as a vendor, it was just right. like, oh gosh, am I like that person that's trying to pass off bags on everybody, which I kind of was, but also <laughs> just wanted to... But wanting to talk to people and just not have it be weird or yeah groupy-ish because it feels that way sometimes. So I'm I appreciate you understanding why I was fangirling my behind off and just kind of it was, I was a, just yeah. so excited to finally be there. I can absolutely remember walking into the main room with you and you were trying to have a conversation with me, but you kept seeing people and your eyes were like darting around and, and I was like, go, just go talk to them. <laughs> It was so funny. And I was like, I have been there. I mean, I saw myself in your face because I would go to camps when I was younger and I'd be like, oh, that's that person on that team. And that's, a, you know, and then I just got would get so excited. But, you know, I just wanted to take one step back to what you said about we, you know, the world of social media is with us, obviously. And we can see some of these people daily on social media but getting to spend two quality days with them in person changes everything because that is a genuine connection where you get to talk to somebody and you get to work with them and you get to see them do their thing in person and put their yeah. phone down and talk to these dancers and you see the magic happening and you realize these are real people too. You know, these are people that yeah. care so much about what they're doing and uh, want to make all of these teams stronger yeah. and and what i love is that because yeah i've been to those workshops and and things in the past where there's that competitive spirit of 
in order for me to be good, then I mean, other people can't be good. And that's not, I don't think that's, that's necessary. And, right. and that comes back to just my professional experiences have taught me that you yourself are going to be your best if everyone else is being supported to be their best at the same time. That is spot on. And I think for everybody that's on a team now, having that mindset, they'll just get so much more out of the experience. I mean, because you'll have the glory of having danced professionally in these pro teams. But if you really kind of have that mindset, you'll get so much more from the experience. And and it just forges the strength of that bond that you'll have with everybody that goes beyond how many pictures you took together and posted, mm -hmm. but right. like, you know, actual real connections with the people that you have the blood, sweat and tears with. But yeah. What would you want the younger generations of dancers in this pro space, what would you want them to take away from this interview or just have in their minds um, as they pursue their professional cheerleading or dance careers? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I always, when I talk with my students here at Custom Long Beach who want to be on pro dance teams, I try to help them understand how these experiences will change them, will change the course of their lives for the better. That as a dancer, we spend so much time in the studio concentrating on ourselves and looking in the mirror and concentrating on where's my leg going? Where's my, how's my turn ending? How, where am I spotting? And here's an opportunity to work as a team of people. And those skills of collaboration and team building and having the right attitude, like I said, about the idea that we will succeed if everyone succeeds. So grab someone by the bootstraps and bring them along with you. You know, those, those skills that you learn in that environment, especially that fast paced environment, those are going to be things that help you the rest of your career. Because no one's going to be a pro dance dancer till they're my age. <laughs> Not on the field, at least, yeah. <laughs> or the court. Yeah. Um, they're going to help you in any profession. They're going to help you be a good parent. They're going to help you be a good teacher, artist, electrician, whatever the heck it is that you long to be, that those experiencers are going to help you have a fulfilling life of people around you and instilling strong work ethic and confidence in the people that you work with. I think it's important also that people go into this realizing that here's an interesting opportunity to be in the spotlight, but to remember that you're not the most important thing in that world. That these organizations, these NBA, NFL, CFL, whatever they are, that these are multi-billion dollar industries and that we are a, a, a piece of sand in a very large bucket. Mm -hmm. And you may not feel as if you're getting the energy and love that you need in that moment, but don't be too quick to judge because your director also needs your support and understanding that they're doing their best to get you what it is that you need. And, and that's a part of being a part of that team too. I think in today's world, it is important where you see people on Instagram and whatever on television and they're winning that competition and this competition, they're getting, it's not going to be like that. You know, it's, yeah. it's going to be a different fulfillment. It's going to be the fulfillment of hearing, you, you know, 40,000 people cheering for you at one time, which you're not going to get anywhere else. It's the fulfillment of meeting the seven-year-old dancer 
whether it's a boy or a girl who yeah. longs to be on that team holding those pom-poms or that sign one day and mm-hmm. and instilling and bending down and having a conversation with them and taking a photo and making them feel like they can be in those shoes one day. It's that it's being a part of a legacy that is bigger than anything you've ever been a part of. And that's pretty exciting too. And then I do think on the flip side of be realistic is I think for today, I would say if you're uncomfortable with something, you have a choice in everything you do in life. Don't be a victim. If there's something happening there that you are uncomfortable with or unclear about, we have to be able to walk into the space and ask questions and to, <laughs> to gain information and to point out how you're experiencing something because someone else may not realize how you're experiencing something. So true. What we walk into the room with uh, colors the way that we see what's in the room. And what we walk in with has to do with our past and how we've been treated and how we treat others and how we were, have grown up and all those things. So you bring all these people together and it's super, super exciting, but it's going to be a lot of different points of view. And mm-hmm. I've never been afraid of having those conversations when I'm making a piece for choreo- of choreography here at school, have my cast sit down, let's have a, what's going on? Let's talk about this. My class, let, what's going on? Let's have a talk about this. My teams, what's going on? Let's have a talk about this. Because we can feel that energy bubbling up, but bring it to the table and don't be afraid to talk about it. And realize that if you don't feel like you're satisfied with where things are going, you do have a choice. You don't have to continue. You can seek out a different experience in your life. Like everything in in the world, I really believe every dancer can find the team that is right for them right for them yeah because they're all going to be different it's going back to you know you might find that the sacramento crowd embraces what it is that you're doing and they don't like you in la (laughs) (laughs) you might feel great in kansas city and you go down to houston and it just doesn't feel right you know and that's okay you still need to, to do your work and work hard and learn and understand but we all have agency within these experiences. And I think what's what's really great now is I feel and see people being more comfortable understanding that Mm -hmm. and learning how to dial it forward or dial it back depending on the moment and the time. So everyone can feel safe, everyone can feel strong and supported. And that includes the directors, the dancers, everybody else. Everyone's Mm -hmm. working really, really hard and information will help you so often have a better picture of the totality of what is going on in these circumstances. So I don't know. I don't know if that's everything I would want to say, but it's, it's far more than how well you spot in your double turns and uh, how high you can kick in your boots. It, it goes far beyond that. And when you're done with your career, you can come for my little weekend master's pro dance workshop at Cal State Long Beach to my little fantasy camp for former dancers over the age of 30 and put your boots back on and have a good time for a weekend. (laughs) Wait, is that, Andy? I want to go. What is it? Oh, please, please, please. Well, we normally do it in the fall. We had it scheduled for October. And because of COVID, I wasn't able to get it approved in time in order to market it. I did eventually get it approved. So... I'll let you know. Uh, it looks like it's probably going to be in late February and we'll do it for a weekend. 
it would be another thing to blow your mind, Makiba, walking in the room and seeing 70 former pro dance team women, some of them in their 40s and 50s and 60s, dancing as beautifully and full out as they have ever tried, maybe a little more sore the next day. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be me for sure. But I want to uh, go. go. Yeah, we have a good time. Uh, we've done it for 10 years now, and it's raised a lot of money for our scholarships here at Cal State Long Beach in the dance department. So it's been a lot of fun. And then I get to see my former yeah. friends. <laughs> well, my friends who I just don't get to see. They're not former friends. They're just old friends. Right. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, definitely let me know. I would, I'd come down. Excellent. Sure. We, will, we would love to have you. Oh my gosh. Well, Andy, seriously, thank you so much. This has been what I've been daydreaming about since we met. I was just like, this conversation cannot end here. We were having such a great, I would have stole you the whole night at the cocktail party. But Oh my gosh. Opening up some more time on your schedule to meet with me and just share your perspective, share your story and inspiration and just knowledge and wisdom that I just really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's very sweet. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Yes. Well, maybe I'll look you up when I um, come down there in December. I know it's around the holidays, but December 19th, I believe there's a Rams game that I'll oh. be trying to go to. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Give me a call. Well, maybe. Yeah, I, would I, I would love to have you come see our space and take you out in Long Beach. <laughs> okay, now I'm fan fanboying you, but I do that. <laughs> <laughs> love uh, to have you here. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful rest of your day, Andy. Thank you, Makiba. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram, at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines.